0: Are you ready for the word? Revelation chapter 11, verse number 19. Revelation chapter 11, verse number 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. There was lightnings, noises, thunders, earthquakes, and great hell. Then I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Revelation 12, verse 11. Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Father, we pray that as I preach your word, Lord, I can't um, preach without you. I definitely need you. And so anoint me as I preach, Lord, your indispensable, infallible word. And I pray that these people's hearts would be receptive, that they wouldn't be distracted, but they would give their full attention to the preaching of Your Word, the proclamation of Your Word, that um, we would be changed and transformed uh, into the person that You've called us to be. And in Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. Now, I want to really stress uh, uh, the importance of today's sermon uh, because if you're not paying attention, you could quickly lose me, and I don't want to lose you in the midst of me preaching this. Um, and I'm not going to move around a whole lot because I have a lot of notes that I want to share with you this morning. But if you look at the Bible, uh, especially if you look at the Garden of Eden, you'll find that uh, very quickly that man messed up God's plan. Man messed up God's plan. Since the Garden of Eden, mankind has been tainted with sin. We know the old story about how Adam and Eve Uh, how Eve partook of the fruit, gave it to her husband, and because of that, they both fell into sin. The Bible says in the book of Romans, because of that, you and I are born into sin. There is a sin problem. We don't have a porn problem. We don't have an alcohol problem. We don't have an abuse problem. We have a sin problem. And Jesus said in John John chapter 3, to reverse this, He says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. There has to be reversal of the curse. And so since the Garden of Eden, mankind has been tainted with sin. And since the Garden, it's been God's plan and purpose to draw you and I back to Himself. Since that time in the Garden, it's been God's plan to draw you and I back to Himself. Now in God's plan, He chose blood to do that. And the Bible says In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Scripture states in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse number 11, for the life of the flesh is found in the blood. Now, to help us understand this, in the Old Testament, uh, God instituted laws, rituals, and ceremonies for His people. God had a people, a Jewish people. They were called Hebrews. They were called the Israelites. And these people uh, uh, were God's special people. And He not only, had, not only did God have a purpose for His people, but He also had a place for His people. It was called the Canaan land. And in the midst of this journey with God's people, God instituted rituals, sacrifice. He instituted laws that these people had to obey by. And God's whole plan was to get His people back to Himself. And in order for God to do that, God instituted a sacrificial system where blood would be shed. Now in the Old Testament, the high priest would use the blood of earthly animals to obtain obtain the sins of the people. For instance, the blood of animals would, uh, would pacify God but it never satisfied God. The only thing that satisfied God was the sacrifice of His only Son, Jesus Christ, who is the spotless Lamb of God. That was the only thing that satisfied God. The blood of animals would pacify God, but it did not satisfy God. And God's whole plan, God's whole purpose, was to get His people, His fallen people, His rebellious people, brought back to Him. And in order for that to be done, God used a sacrificial system that used blood for it. And God instituted animal sacrifice. Now I've often wondered why in the world did God institute animal sacrifice? Even though animals uh, are affected by sin, the blood of animals was pure. That's the reason why the blood of animals could be sacrificed and the sins of the people were forgiven because the blood of animals uh, was not tainted like the blood of Adam and Eve. And because their blood was not tainted like Adam and Eve, their blood was sufficient to atone for the sins of the people. But the problem of the blood of animals was this. The blood of animals would die after a period of time. So the high priest had to continue to use blood year after year and year after year because the blood of animals would die. And so they would have to use the blood of animals year after year to atone the sins of the people. And you see, the Scripture says to us that there is the spotless Lamb of God whose His blood is not only pure, but His blood is everlasting. That means a sacrifice doesn't have to be done year after year. Once the sacrifice is done, it has atoned the sins of humanity for all generations. Can I hear an amen? It's interesting to me that in the book of Genesis chapter 4, Abel was the first righteous man outside of the garden, the Bible says. Abel was the first righteous man outside of the garden. Now, if Abel was the first, first righteous man outside of the garden... Why couldn't his blood be shed for his brother? Couldn't his blood be somewhat uh, appeasing to God to atone for his brother? But the Scripture doesn't say that. The Scripture does say that Abel's blood cried out from the ground. Nephesh, Hebrew, it cried out from the ground. His blood cried out from the ground because Cain killed his brother Abel. But the Scripture does not tell us that his blood is sufficient to atone for his mother's sin Or even his brother's sin. Do you know why Abel's blood could not atone for his brother's sin? Who is Cain and his mother, Adam and Eve? Because Abel's blood was tainted by the sin of his mother and father. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 12. They'll put it behind me. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says about sin. And how sin has affected the world. Romans 5 and verse number 12. I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul says here, and I quote, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. In other words, because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, every person that's born from Adam and Eve is born into sin. And even though Abel was a righteous man outside of the garden, his blood could not atone for the sin of his brother or his parents. And the reason for that is because Abel, his blood was affected and tainted because of what his mother and father did in the garden. Adam and Eve is his mother and father, and because they sinned in the garden, Abel's blood is tainted with sin. And every person that's born from Adam and Eve is born a sinner, and your blood is tainted with sin. Sin did not come upon the race. The Bible says sin came in the race. It did not come upon us. It came in us. That's why you don't have to teach a baby to lie, steal, and cheat. Because that baby, when that baby is born, that baby has the Adamic nature of Adam. And that baby's blood has been tainted by sin because of what Adam and Eve done in the garden. That is why the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 7, the prophet looked in the future and he said there is a change coming. And the prophet said that the Lord is going to give a sign, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah said that there is coming a day that a virgin, a woman who has not been with a man... Is going to conceive and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. His name will be called Emmanuel. God is with us. Do you see what the prophet is saying? The prophet is saying somebody is going to have a baby, and they're going to name him Emmanuel. But this person that has a baby is not going to be in a sexual relationship with a man. This baby is not going to be reproduced by a sexual union between a man and a woman. But this woman is going to supernaturally conceive a baby. And that's what the Christian church calls the virgin birth. And the purpose of the virgin birth is not that God would just show off His power. But the purpose of the virgin birth is that the Redeemer, who is Jesus, would miss the bloodline of Adam and Eve. Because every person who is born from Adam and Eve is born a sinner. Every person that's born from Adam and Eve, their blood is tainted with sin. And so therefore, the baby that this woman is getting ready to carry would be a baby that's not like any other baby. This baby is not going to be like any other baby, but this baby is going to be conceived supernaturally because the Holy Ghost is going to come up on the virgin named Mary and drop the seed in her womb, and that seed is going to grow into a man called Jesus. But this man is not going to have the same blood that comes from Adam and Eve because if he gets the same blood that comes from Adam and Eve, his blood would be tainted with sin, and his blood wouldn't be enough to atone the human race of its rebellion. So therefore, this woman conceives and she bears a son and they call His name Jesus. They call Him Redeemer. They call Him Emmanuel, God with us. That is why the Apostle said in John chapter 1, and verse number 1 John 1 verse 1 and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the father the only begotten the only begotten of the father of truth you see ladies and gentlemen Mary conceived a baby She conceived a baby because the Holy Ghost came upon her and dropped the seed into her and that baby was not going to be touched by the bloodline of Adam and Eve. He had to be born of a virgin. He could not be born through a sexual union. He could not inherit the bloodline of Adam and Eve because every child that is born from Adam and Eve is born a sinner. Every child is born in rebellion. But this baby was the immaculate conception of Mary. He was born of the Holy Ghost, free from the the, the sin of Adam and Eve. So therefore, that is why the prophet said in 1 Peter, he said, therefore, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8, Peter said, the apostle said, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8, I want you to see how he refers to Jesus' blood here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 8. 1 Peter 1, verse 8, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Do you hear what he said? He said, you're not redeemed with things that's corruptible, things that pass away, things that are here one day and gone the next. But the apostle said, But you are redeemed by something else that is not corruptible, but something that's incorruptible, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, That blood is incorruptible. That means if it's corruptible, it dies. But if it's incorruptible, it lives on forever and ever. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you today that the blood of Jesus Christ still lives. The same blood that was shed upon Calvary, it still lives today and it still speaks on your behalf. There is no sin. I said there is no sin that can keep you in captivity because the blood of Jesus still speaks. You think that Abel's blood still speaks, but the blood of Jesus is more powerful than Abel's blood that spoke from the ground. Jesus' blood speaks from the cross, and he says, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're set apart, you're made righteous in the sight of God. And there are some people today that don't like a religion with blood in it, and there are some denominations that wants to remove all the bloody songs out of the hymn books, but i got good gospel news to them. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I said without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. None other but the blood of Jesus Hallelujah. Is there anybody in the building that can say it reaches to the highest mountain? It flows to the lowest valley. It is the blood that gives me strength from day to day. And the blood will never lose its power. If you're thankful for the blood, raise your hand and say, I'm thankful for the blood. I said, are you... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People don't like a religion with blood in it. But without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Old Testament teaches us that it was through the sacrifices and ceremonies of the laws and covenants that God instituted in the Old Testament. If those people kept those laws and sacrifices, then God would be brought brought nigh to them. God would come near to them if they obeyed His commandments. One of the things that I find interesting in the Old Testament is that in the midst of all of their sacrifices, one of the sacrifices that God required of his people was that if you were Jewish by name, and I don't have time to read all the scriptures, we'll look at that a few of them in just a moment, he would require his people to bring an offering to the Lord, Dorn Yom Kippur. One of those offerings would be a spotless lamb. Now, there was lambs that was being sacrificed in the temple, but yet God required some of his, his people to bring their own lamb to the priest. And so in Yom Kippur, thousands upon thousands of lambs were slain upon the altar. So for instance, if I lived back then and it was during the holy feast of Yom Kippur and sacrifices were being made, then I would bring a lamb to God on behalf of my family, the Pennington family, the Atwell family, the Taylor family, the Yates family, the Allenball family. You would bring one lamb And you would bring it to the priest, doing Yom Kippur, and the priest would take your lamb and he would sacrifice it, lift it up to God, and God would see the lamb that you had brought and you would be forgiven of all your sins that year. Now that lamb had to be spotless, that lamb had to be pure. So all year you had to raise a spotless lamb because you knew on a certain day of the year that that lamb was going to be sacrificed for you. So, in Yom Kippur, if I lived then, I would bring my lamb to God, but there was something interesting about it. If you was to bring your lamb to God, history tells us, not scripture, but history tells us that they would take a wire and put it around the lamb's neck with a wooden wooden piece of it looked like a piece of paper, it was a wood it was wood, and it was attached to a wire around the lamb 's neck the the head of the household, which was usually the father, would take something and write the name of his family on that wooden piece around the lamb's neck. Then he would give that lamb with the wooden piece around his neck and the priest would offer it to God and God would look down from heaven and forgive the sins of the Pennington family because I offered up a lamb without blemish and spot and God would see the name tag and he would forgive my sins. It's interesting to me that Old Testament contained is New Testament explained. You see similarities and typology in Scripture. And one of the things that you see in Scripture is that you know that Jesus died Uh, right before Passover, they took his body down before sundown. And one of the things that you'll find, especially in the book of John, in the book of John, when they crucified him, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 37, you see the cross behind me? The cross looked similar like that. And they, in, in Jewish days, they usually put something above their name or above their head to describe their crime or what they did. And the Bible says in Matthew 27, 37, that the Roman centurion put this over Jesus's head this is Jesus king of the Jews the bible also says in Luke chapter 23 and verse 38 Luke 23 38 i want you to see this Luke chapter 23 and verse number 38 when they put it above his head they also wrote it in three different languages they wrote it in greek they wrote it in latin and they wrote it in hebrew that's the gospel of Luke Luke gives more detail about about what's happening at the crucifixion when he said at the crucifixion they wrote it in three different languages because at the crucifixion there was people who spoke Greek, Latin, and Hebrew and Pilate wanted to make sure that everybody that was there understood the charge that was brought against Jesus. And the charge that was brought against Jesus is this. He was charged of being the king of the Jews. He was being charged of being the king of the Jews. Now, it's interesting to me that at the crucifixion, there are people at the crucifixion. At the crucifixion, you have a thief on the right, and you have a thief on the left. At the bottom of the crucifixion, you have his mother, you have, uh, you have Mary Magdalene, you have John, the beloved, who is his best friend, who the disciple who stayed with him to the very end. You also have some religious leaders, the Bible says, who went about what? Their head saying to the master, If you are the king of the Jews, if you are the son of God, come down off of that cross. So at the foot of the cross, you have commotion. You have his mother crying, you have Mary Magdalene in distraught, you have John in distraught, but yet you have religious leaders mocking him, saying that if he is this king of the Jews, he could come down off of the cross. Here is Jesus dying on the cross, gasping for air. You have have one of the thieves on the right blaspheming his name, but you also have another thief crying for mercy, saying to the Lord, "Remember me when you enter into paradise." You see, at the foot of the cross, those religious leaders understood the accusation written above Jesus's head, and it was common for any Jew when they read something. All Jews read from right to left. They read from right to left. And when they would read something, history tells us that the religious leaders, when they would read something, they would read right to left right to left, and they if they wanted to know what God wanted to say to them, history records to us that religious leaders had a secret, and that was this. They would drop the first letter of each of the word in the alphabet. And so when the religious leaders came to the crucifixion and saw the accusation above his head, this is Jesus, king of the Jews, whether they were reading in Greek whether they were reading in Latin or Hebrew, the religious leaders were trained that if God wanted to speak to them, they had a special code. They would drop the first letter of each word and it would spell something. Well, guess what? When they dropped the first letter of each word in Hebrew, this is the word that they got, the religious leaders. They got Y-H-W-H. I'll say that again. Y. HWH, that is in Hebrew. Now, those who were reading Greek and Latin would have never got it. But those religious leaders who were trained in Hebrew understood something that when they were reading from right to left, drop the first letter of each word, they come up with a Hebrew word which means YHWH. And do you know what that word is? That word is the name of God. Do you know what God did that day? God is saying for 1500 years you brought a lamb to me and you offered a lamb up to me with your name tag. But today I'm reversing it and I'm offering a lamb up to myself with the name tag on it and his name is God. Can somebody say amen? I want you to know today the blood still works. I want you to know there's still power in the blood. The blood still redeems the blood still forgives the blood still sanctifies the blood still justifies there is still power in the blood of Jesus God offered up his lamb that day and said now I am offering up my lamb to the world you see what are you saying pastor I'm saying it like this The Scripture is clear in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. I want you to see it. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. The Scripture is clear. For He hath been made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, He took all of the sin of the world upon Him. It's no wonder He felt forsaken on the cross. My God, my God, why have Thou forsaken Me? Eli, Eli, Lemonai, why have you forsaken me? And ladies and gentlemen, if God Himself experienced forsakenness, if God felt like he was rejected and felt like that He that God Himself turned his back on him, then there will be times in your life that you're gonna feel the very same thing. You're gonna feel like you've been forsaken. You're gonna feel like that God is a million miles away because Jesus Himself felt the same way on the cross. But can I tell you something? That was Friday and Sunday was on its way. Sunday was on its way. You see, you can't give up on the break of a miracle. You see, the scripture records that sin entered into the world. And because sin entered into the world, you and I are born into sin. And because we are born into sin, our blood has been tainted by sin. And because our blood has been tainted by sin, your blood is not sufficient to atone for anyone's sin. You need somebody with pure blood. And you need somebody with everlasting lasting blood. Blood that could atone for you not just for today but for the endless ages of eternity. In the Old Testament they would sacrifice lambs and they would take the blood and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and God would atone or cover the sins of the people for a year. But after a year the priest would go in and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. Year after year the priest would continue to make blood sacrifice the blood was sufficient enough to atone you or to cover you but the blood could not wipe away your sin and the blood could not last forever it would die year after year it would die but I am so glad that the blood of Jesus is not only pure the blood of Jesus don't have any sin in it it's not been tainted by the sin of Adam and Eve the blood of Jesus is eternal the blood of Jesus is immortal the blood of Jesus Jesus, once it's applied, it stays there forever. It is no wonder the angels of heaven are crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of power and might. Why are they crying holy? Because they are looking up on the things that only humans can understand. Humans understand what it means to be in sin and now to be redeemed. Humans know what it means to be in alcoholism and God can turn you around and set you free. Only humans can understand what it means to be addicted to drugs and God could deliver you at the split of a second. Only humans know what it means to be in despair and be in sickness of body and God raise you up on the third day. Only humans understand that. It's no wonder the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. It's no wonder the 24 elders are bowing down before the throne because they are seeing something that they desire to look into and that is the blood of the everlasting covenant that's resting upon the mercy seat of heaven. Heaven. Woo. is there somebody in the building that can wave your hand and say I just want to thank God that my past is forgiven my future is secure I stand in the presence of almighty God redeemed because of his precious blood hallelujah because of his precious blood you may be seated they took his body down off of the cross Joseph of Arimathea begged for the body of Jesus. Nicodemus begged for the body of Jesus. They took his body down, wrapped it in linen cloth, put it in a borrowed tomb, Joseph's of Arimathea. A borrowed tomb because he was going to stay very long, Pastor David. He just he just needs a motel for the weekend. So they put him in there for a few days. Hallelujah. But his spirit left his body. He went down into the under earth. Ephesians chapter five, who is he that ascended? Is he, but the descended into the lower parts of the earth. When they took his body, wrapped it in linen cloth, put it in a borrowed tomb. His spirit left his body, his body, his spirit went down into the underworld. Where did it go? It went down to paradise. What is paradise? Paradise was a holding place. On one side is where the righteous was. That's where David was playing his harp. That's where Abraham and Sarah is. That's where all the Old Testament saints was waiting for the redemption on one side. But on the other side it was a place of torment for those who rejected the law of Moses. Those who walked in rebellion. It was paradise. They could look at each other across the gulf. They could have conversation with each other across the gulf. On one side was the righteous side. On the other side was the unrighteous side. It was called paradise. And that is why when Jesus was dying on the cross, the thief looked at him and said, Master, would you remember me in paradise? They didn't go to heaven. He went down into the earth. Why did he go down into the earth? Because every person who obeyed the law of Moses and God's grace, obviously, they were saved and they went to paradise. It was a holding place. They didn't go to heaven. Paul said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but that's in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when they died, they went down into the under earth. That is why Jesus said to the man, "Today you will be with me in paradise." You know what he was saying? I need to take a trip down to the underworld, and I need to go preach to Abraham that I am the one that you saw in the thicket. I need to go to Solomon and tell him that I. I am the one that can satisfy. I I need to go to Abraham. I need to go to Sarah. I need to go to all the prophets of the old that was looking for my coming and I need to tell them that I am the expected Messiah that you've been waiting for all these years. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. Can I hear an amen? So he went down to the under earth. How do I know that? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 7. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 7. Look what Jesus does, what the Bible says that he does. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 7. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Verse number 9, now this, he ascended, what does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might feel all things. I want to let you know before Jesus went up, Jesus went down. They took a body off of the cross, wrapped it with linen cloth, but his spirit went down to the underworld, and he preached to those Old Testament saints. He didn't give the people that were in rebellion a second chance. He preached to those who were in captivity in paradise. And do you know what he did? He led them out of paradise. He led Abraham out. He led Sarah out. Can I hear an amen? He led all the prophets of old out, and he led them to heaven. Why did he lead them to heaven? because no Old Testament saint ever went to heaven in the Old Testament. Why not? Because sin happened in heaven first. You see, sometimes we think sin happened in the garden. The serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve, and because the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, they fell into sin. But you see, sin happened in heaven. Heaven is where it happened. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning. The Bible says that old dragon, the serpent, took his tail and wiped out one-third of the angels of heaven. There was a great war that happened in heaven, a great rebellion. Rebellion that happened in heaven Lucifer the son of the morning led a rebellion against God and took one-third of the angels out of heaven and those angels today are demonic spirits or fallen spirits to the earth can I hear it amen and so therefore sin originated in heaven and so therefore heaven was waiting for a sacrifice I'm about to shout up in here heaven was waiting for some blood Heaven was waiting for a priest. Jesus is not only prophet. He is priest and he is king. Jesus came as a prophet to show us the way to God. Jesus is a priest because he took his blood to the heavenly tabernacle. And one day Jesus is coming as king because he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. Let me tell you something right now. Jesus, when they died upon Calvary's cross, his blood by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter number 9 the eternal spirit took his blood to the heavenly tabernacle and that eternal spirit which is the Holy Spirit took the blood of Jesus and walked into the heavenly court of heaven and took his blood and the Holy Spirit didn't take the blood of bulls and goats like the people in earth did but the Holy Spirit took the blood of a righteous man. Jesus the Christ took his blood and sprinkled it upon the mercy seat of heaven and heaven was atoned of its sin and Paul Had the revelation to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The reason I can go to heaven now is because the eternal Spirit put the blood upon the mercy seat and it atoned heaven of its sin. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23, the things on earth was a direct replica of the things in heaven. The tabernacle that Moses made on earth, he got the pattern in heaven. The menorah that Moses made on earth was a menorah that he patterned after on earth the the brazen altar that they had on earth was a direct replica of the thing that was in heaven the ark of the covenant that was made on earth was the same thing that was made in heaven you see the priest on the old the priest in the old testament is a type and shadow of the thing that was to come and the priest is jesus now the old testament tabernacle was a direct replica of the one that was in heaven heaven was waiting for a blood Sacrifice. That is why the author of Hebrews said it like this. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than this. You see what the writer is saying? He said it's a copy. What was happening in heaven was a direct replica of what was on earth. On earth, Moses made a tabernacle. On earth, Moses had an Ark of the Covenant. On earth, Moses had a menorah. On earth, Moses had a brazen altar. On earth, Moses had a tabernacle where the priest would do his ceremonies so that the people could be forgiven. But you see, the writer of Hebrews is saying, where did he get that from? He got it from heaven. Because in heaven, there is a tabernacle. In heaven, there's a brazen altar. In heaven, there is an Ark of the Covenant. In heaven, there is a tabernacle like the one on earth. But the only difference is, on earth, it is a human doing blood sacrifices of animals but in heaven there is a God man called Jesus who shed his blood on earth and took his blood to heaven and put the blood upon the ark of the covenant in heaven and it atoned heaven of its sin you see Jesus said to Mary we'll go on with the next verse for Christ is not entered into the holy place made with these hands, which are copies of the true. Christ entered into heaven himself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He entered into the heavenly tabernacle. He entered into the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus' body was wrapped in linen cloth, Put in a borrowed tomb, his spirit went down to the underworld, preached unto the captives, led them free, led them to heaven. Jesus put his blood upon the mercy seat of heaven and atoned heaven of its sin and atoned the human race of its sin. Now you and I are welcomed into heaven now. When your dead relatives are dead, when your dead red relatives die and they are buried six feet beneath the ground and the preacher does his, his eulogy and says his things and sprinkles dust upon the casket and says whatever he needs to say, their body may be six feet beneath the ground but their spirit is in the presence of Almighty God. And the reason their spirit is in the presence of Almighty God is because Jesus put blood upon the mercy seat. They no longer go down to paradise. There is no such thing called purgatory. There is no waiting place. Jesus put the blood upon the tabernacle and therefore heaven's gates are opened up to humanity. Jesus comes back. Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday morning is crying. She thought he was a gardener. She said, Lord, teacher, if you know what they've done with his body, tell me that I may go and weep myself. does Jesus do? Jesus stands before Mary. Just then Mary realizes it's, it's, it's the Master. Instantly Jesus says, Don't touch me, Mary. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Where had He been? He had been in the lower parts of the earth. He had not been in heaven yet. He said, don't touch me, Mary, because in Jewish customs and rituals, the priest could not be touched 24 hours before he put the blood upon the tabernacle. He could not have sexual relation with his wife. He couldn't be touched within human hands 24 hours before he put the blood upon the mercy seat of heaven or the mercy seat on earth. And so therefore, Jesus is following the custom of the priest on earth. They couldn't be touched for 24 hours. So Jesus is saying, Mary, don't touch me because I'm getting ready to perform the greatest sacrifice ever known to man. What you saw happen on Calvary is only a very small part of what's getting ready to happen. I'm getting ready to do something beyond what you can't even see with your natural eye. I'm getting ready to take my own blood and put it on the mercy seat of heaven. So, eight days later, he says to Thomas, Touch me. Put your ha- hand in my side. See, Revelation 11, verse 19. See, Pastor, I don't know if I've heard this before. Old Testament contained, New Testament explained. See, John writing the book of Revelation says this the temple of God was opened. What was built on earth is a direct replica of what's in heaven. He said, I saw the temple of God, it was open, and I saw the ark of his covenant. Where did he see it at? He saw the ark of the covenant in heaven. He is not speaking of the one on earth. It doesn't matter where it is. There is one in heaven. And John says, In the temple. By the ark, there's lightnings, there's noises, there's thunderings, there's an earthquake. See, John has a vision of heaven, and in heaven, he sees a temple, and in that temple, he sees the ark of the covenant, he sees the golden altar. There's one in heaven, Exodus 39, 38, but there's one in heaven, Revelation 9, 13. There's a golden candlestick on earth, Exodus 25, 31, but there's one in heaven, Revelation 1:12. There's an altar on earth, Exodus 27, verse 6, but there's one in heaven, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. So the very thing that Moses created on earth was only a type and shadow of the thing that was getting ready to operate in heaven. See, you know why I read this scripture to you? Because when John looked up, he says, I saw the temple of God and I saw the ark of the covenant. Pastor David, you know why that's significant? Because in the Old Testament, you couldn't see the ark of the covenant because of the veil. The veil covered the Ark of the Covenant. But in this story, John says, I see the Ark and I see the temple, but there is no veil. Do you know why there's no veil? Because the veil was torn on earth. And now you and I have direct access to the temple of God. You have direct access to the Ark of the Covenant. You have direct access to the blood of Jesus. You don't have a veil separating you. You don't have a priest separating you. You don't have animals separating you. Separating you Now you and I can go into the throne of grace boldly and approach the throne of God not because of your righteousness but because of what He has done on Calvary. He says there is a veil. There's no veil. There was an article written many years ago by the Vatican the Vatican, I've read an article the Vatican produced. They have one of the greatest libraries ever known to man. Awesome library. Ancient writings of early church fathers. Ancient writings of early church practices. Ancient writings of, of sayings of early church fathers. Rich in history. I remember in seminary reading an article that the Vatican produced about the Vatican produced an article based upon their findings of ancient writings. One of the things I read was that the Vatican produced this elaborate article about the presence of God. And Now, it wasn't recorded in Scripture, but it was recorded in ancient writings that when the presence of God would be with the people of God, they would go and dance before the Lord, we know that, and shout and blow trumpets and they would dance before God in celebration. But one of the things that they would do, there was, a, there was order to what God wanted done. And one of the things they would do, they would hold the Ark of the Covenant on poles. Is that right? And the Levites would hold the Ark of the Covenant on poles. And the priest would go before them and they would blow trumpets and sing to the Lord. As they went into battle, they would take the Ark of the Covenant. And Levites would bear the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. One of the things that the Vatican said in their writings was that it was recorded that there was so much of the power of God present when the Ark of the Covenant would go before the people of God, that the Ark of the Covenant would lift itself off of the shoulders of the Levites. So when they went into battle, it wasn't a burden to carry the ark of the covenant because the covenant, the ark of the covenant, had so much power that it carried itself in the air. So they just rejoiced and shout as they went in to the presence of God. You see, some people, and I read that, and I thought to myself, there are some people that really think it's a burden to serve God. You think it's a burden to carry God's presence all the time. You think it's a burden to go to church and burden to go to church on Sunday night, and burden to go to church here, burden to do this and burden to that, can't serve because it's a burden, might take up too much of my time. But I've learned that as I serve God, I don't have to carry the presence of God. The presence of God carries me. It carries me. It carries me.